Thanks, Steve. That was CBS 34's Steve Smith reporting from the Coca-Cola headquarters. Next on your 9 o'clock Atlanta news update, it's sports. Sports. Since Atlanta discovered soccer last year, we've been lucky here in America's first city to enjoy the best this European sport has to offer. Now a troubling trend has emerged. To cover, it's resident MLS expert Caleb Olson. Thanks, Nick. As the MLS offseason started, America was afflicted by an epidemic of epic proportions when MLS players descended on the nation's airports. We decided to investigate at Hartfield International Airport, and in just the one hour spent there, we found numerous disturbances perpetuated by soccer stars. Here are a few. Can you see him? They said he was here somewhere. Um, oh, there he is. There he is, by the bar. Quick. Bring the camera. Come on, you wankers. Officer. Yes, officer. This is the one we heard about. He's clearly drunk. Um, drunk? I haven't um, drunk anything Are you out of your gourd, fella. See, officer, he's slurring his words and can barely speak coherently. Um, damn it, Shakiri scored again. Dakiri's. Pretty sure you've had more than a few of those today. No, 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 Dakiri, Shakiri. Um, you don't understand. Get your hands off me, you piss. I'm Wayne fucking Rooney. Please, please come this way with me, sir. You're not walking alone today. With, with fewer TSA staff on site due to the shutdown, long security lines have led to passenger frustration. Uh, oh, uh, sir, uh, can you tell us what's going on here? Uh, I was just standing here in this line and this guy tried to cut in. We got into an argument. He shoved me. When I reached out to shove him, he just fell on the ground, started rolling around before I could even touch him. Uh, uh, he, he killed me. He killed uh, me. Uh, Tom, Tom, you're just embarrassing yourself. You're a father now. Come on, get up. What our cameras caught next was the most shocking. What? What? Who are you? What? Why is this camera filming Zlatan in the toilet? Zlatan, why don't you take a seat over there? No, no. Zlatan wished to go to his gate. Yes, we'll go to your gate soon. Now, can you describe what you're doing in the toilet stall back there? Uh, Zlatan, uh, Zlatan just... Zlatan just took big shit. Zlatan ate Taco Bell earlier, you yes, see. Yes, yes, we smelled that. It was... Uh, was fragrant, but you also did something else that got our attention. Zatan is confused. Zatan does not know what you refer to. Really? Do you recognize this furry mannequin foot? No. Because when we put it in the stall next to yours, you seem to reach under the barrier with your foot and tap on it. Zatan. He he. Uh. Zatan just has. Just a wide stance is all. Is that so? Yeah, yes, yes. You see, Zlatan is lion. Zlatan must spread out sometimes. Yes, a lion, so I've heard. When the furry leg tapped back, you asked for its number and if it was also a lion. No, no, you see, I, I wanted to, to text. Who did you think was in the stall next to yours? I, um... Did you think it was Kingston? What? No! Does it anger you that we've learned you want an oral sex from a mascot? No, no, you do not dishonor Kingston in this way. You you never take Kingston's good name off your dirty mouth. You would never dishonor uh, himself. Um, guys, yeah. guys, stop. Stop recording a second. Hey, what the hell, guys? What, what, what happened? It, uh, do you see what we've become? What, what, what do you mean? 
Do we have to debase ourselves like this every single week? De- debase ourselves, Colin? We're just doing sketches. It's Look, for laughs, man. This started out innocently, Notch. There are a few jokes about the USL's names, a couple of jokes about Atlanta. Well, it took us just a few episodes to get all the way to Zlatan Ibrahimovic cruising airport bathrooms, getting blowjobs from mascots. What the hell is wrong with you, man? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You Just walk away. Walk away from your own house. Welcome to We Call It Soccer, a podcast by two Ned fans. I'm Caleb. I'm Colin. And I'm Notch. This week, we've already ruined soccer for you with that sketch. So we've brought in a special guest so you can hear less of us. College soccer, and this week we've got a really special episode because we have a guest on our show, Scott Kirsten. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. Uh, nice to be special. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scott was uh, the one who this year at the Dark Clouds charity auction donated to have a guest spot. the The list was very illustrious of the people that you beat out, and the millions of dollars that the Dark Clouds got <laughs> yeah. from you. Yeah, you specifically. Like, oh well, I, I don't know if you checked your bank account recently, but <laughs> constantly, constantly, and it's depressing every time. Yeah, I feel yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Scott, we, we, we've got a lot we want to ask you about, but uh, I'd love to just give the listeners a quick introduction to who you are. So, could you give us like the uh, the Cliff Notes version of what you sent me. Uh, I'll give kind of the uh, the soccer specific uh, parts of my uh, biography here. First became interested in soccer in 1970. Uh, ABC was running like highlights of the World Cup, like a week or two weeks after the actual thing. Oh, wow. And <laughs> just watching that got me interested enough so that you know I'd play a little pickup soccer in the backyard with the guys. Uh, my high school didn't have a soccer team at that time, so I couldn't play any sort of organized. And so it was just kind of at that level until 1976 when I got hit with uh, the big two for Minnesota soccer fans. And that was, number one, of course, the Minnesota Kicks out there at Met Stadium. And number two, Soccer Made in Germany. Soccer Made in Germany was a show on PBS... Okay. And what and what they did was they took a Bundesliga game and they crushed it from 90 minutes down to 60 minutes. And oh. they did it anytime a guy got injured, they cut that. <laughs> Any t- anytime a throw-in took more than four seconds, they cut that. Halftime was two minutes. And nice. by that method and, you know, the occasional uh, uh, bit of time-wasting possession, they were able to squeeze a game down to 60 minutes. And that's how a lot of soccer fans in the 70s started, was watching Soccer Made in Germany. Nice. Yeah. I so, think there's a couple of channels that still do that. I think BN does that for... BN does do that. Yeah. And, uh, God, I'm trying to think. Uh, I think Go or uh, Goal TV yeah. did that yeah. also. Yeah. Well, you had the MLS condensed matches 
maybe you still do. I, I know we had them as late as last year, but uh, I, I'm not sure if they do now with the ESPN Plus. Yeah, right. I think they got sure. rid of them. Which, rid of it. Yeah, which was kind of a bummer for me, just because you know watching ten games a week gets a little exhausting. You know, they were <laughs> they were there in the MLS app under videos it was this weird thing that you had to do to find anyway we'll see if it's there next year but hey scott i want to just to just to kind of give the the brief rundown from there you've been basically present for every memorable step of minnesota soccer you've even helped with some player research you for the stars for united and you've you've had some really interesting roles one of the founding members of the dark cloud so there's a lot we could talk to you about today, but I think one of the things that you were talking about a second ago yeah. is is the thing that I want to start with, which is what was it like to be a soccer fan in the 70s and 80s? Because we I've, I've heard Bruce talk about kind of closed circuit TV in the 90s and things like that. But even before that, were you able to find international soccer on TV? Did you have to rely on the papers? Like where was the info coming from? Actually, there was very little info. I mean, you would get a little bit of newspaper coverage uh, for World Cup. Uh, Every once in a while, uh, something over in England that would would happen, but it was very rare. Uh, Basically, for most people, what little they knew about soccer was uh, these these highlights, this uh, abbreviated World Cup coverage. And so as a result, uh, when uh, the NASL, the first one, when they signed Pele, when they first got the network coverage, for a lot of people, it really was a new thing. And that's part of what made it look nice and shiny and part of what fed that first uh, uh, attendance bulge. Was there, so did you have like today's version of the Eurosnob where there was a guy that was like, I'm not into the new NASL, I'm only into Arsenal, where like you don't get to watch Arsenal at all. Like today at least people can get up in the mornings and watch it on like NBC. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, English soccer is totally better. I, I, I've i never watched it, but it's just I don't better. know if they're good or not. I only see yeah. <laughs> No, there wasn't the snobbery because, uh, well, Anyone who did follow NASL soccer knew, well, oh, England, that, they've got all the best guys except for the ones that came from Brazil and uh, maybe a few guys from Germany. But that's basically all almost anyone knew. So, so you had to be an NASL fan if you were a soccer fan. Yeah, there wasn't anything else that you could do, right? Not a lot. I mean, there were, there were places. Uh, I believe there's a book called uh, The Ball Was Round, which is a history of United States soccer. I, I, I would have to check to make sure that that's a title, but I highly recommend it. It's like about 700 pages, and it goes into a great amount of detail. And it's surprising how much soccer was being played in this country, but only known at local levels. It wasn't covered, you know, on a national scale. Right. But if you lived in a town that had uh, uh, an, an amateur soccer team, you could, you could catch it at that level. And there were some actually fairly decent teams for amateur teams. And there was even a point uh, in this country where, well, like this, uh, gods, I forget what they call it, this uh, summer thing where the European teams come over here. Uh, the, oh, the Champions Cup. Yeah, Champions Cup. Well, they had a form of that back in the 60s. 
And so uh, uh, Spartak Moscow would show up, and just teams from odd countries would show up and play a series of uh, matches here, almost <laughs> like a mini yeah. league. Yeah, cool. crazy. I, I did check. That's that is the name of the book. You got it right. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you're already I don't a get lot. Any, I don't get any money for it, but I highly recommend it nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, you're already more accurate than notches usually. So, <laughs> hey, unfair. Uh, Very fair. So, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty <laughs> accurate. Hey, come on. So, so Scott, tell me, tell me about the day to day as a soccer fan. Would you bump into other people wearing soccer gear? Did, were you guys talking about soccer at the bar? Did you get to watch soccer on TV together? No, uh, practically none of that. Uh, anyone who knows about the kicks and all that, you know, and I mean, a lot of casual people here know that the deal with the kicks, for the most part, unless you were like actively involved somehow in what little youth soccer was there or were a really, really hardcore fan or someone who would come from another country, you went down to Bloomington and you had this swell party in the parking lot. <laughs> yep. And then the, you, for, for an hour, hour and a half, you do the tailgating thing, then you go in and watch the game, and then you come out an hour later and you're drunk and uh, maybe a couple of people are fighting on the hood of your car about something or other. But it was a party thing, and that's pretty much what it was for most of the people who came there. And if they kept going to the games, a lot of them eventually developed an actual interest in soccer. And I think that a lot of the, uh, the high school soccer and things like that, which began to form in like uh, the late 70s and 80s, was kind of uh, due to the kicks and the NASL. Now, the kicks died early in the early 80s correct uh let's see they cacked it in 1981 and basically uh the kicks version of that was met stadium was getting torn down Mm -hmm. they were building the metrodome and uh people involved with the kicks claimed that between the twins and the vikings uh, they took up a lot of the dates and they put pressure on uh, the sports commission to restrict other dates. And basically, they didn't have enough dates to put a schedule together. Uh, also, the owner, uh, uh, I believe his name was Ralph Smart, was the last owner of the Kicks. He bought it and he kind of ran certain aspects of it into the ground and that was a contributor to its demise. That's so smart, see. Uh, Ralph Sweet, actually. I have oh, Sweet. Wiki- oh, okay. Darn it. I have Wikipedia. <laughs> you, you guys brought this on me. Now, for the rest of the episode, I'm just going to correct so everybody. <laughs> okay, I'm batting 500. Oh, sorry, wrong sport. Okay. <laughs> I mean, still at Met Stadium, though. Well, yeah. Okay, well, okay, okay. So, so now... They were the, the strikers were brought in pretty much right after that to play the out the remaining days. The strikers came in three years later in 1984. Okay, out of Fort Lauderdale, and they did one season of outdoor. And uh, well, like for instance, uh, that was the year that they brought in uh, the Beach Boys. So what was that interregnum? What? <laughs> as 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 a, as a lord, as a lord to bring people in. They scheduled the game, and they scheduled the Beach Boys. <laughs> That's awesome. And so about, I believe it was 20 minutes to a half an hour after the game was over, they had erected uh, the stage up there. 
Uh, the Beach Boys played like two numbers, and at that point they let like about 200 teeny bopper girls run down onto the pitch because apparently the Beach Boys had felt so isolated there because everyone was way off in the stand. <laughs> there was just this acre of astroturf between them and the crowd. But, uh, yeah, and that was uh, the previous record for the biggest uh, Minnesota team home soccer oh, crowd. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, of those 50,000 people, by my complete guesstimate, I would guess at least half of them wound up showing up to the game somewhere in the second half because they were there for the boys. <laughs> so this was 1984 Beach Boys, just, just yeah. so we're clear. Yeah, this, this this was kind of in that valley between their initial popularity and them, you know, getting back up the charts. So what was that, that, that time period like when the kicks were circling the drain before the strikers came back as a soccer fan was it did it for you did it register in your consciousness or was it just something like well they're not here anymore that's that for me it was kind of well they're not here anymore and that's that uh actually i had just gotten out of the navy then and uh i was working at the guthrie theater at that time as a production assistant and those are some long, long hours. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't following much of anything. I mean, I was getting to the Guthrie at noon and leaving at about 1 a.m. and trying to squeeze in some college with that. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, the college lost in that little mix. <laughs> <laughs> so did you get back in with the Strikers then? Was it? Was it? Yeah, of... yeah. When the okay. Strikers uh, came back, I said, ah, oh, great. Here's another opportunity. And when they folded, I just moved right in with the indoor. Yeah. Where did they play outdoor again, the Strikers? Uh, well, they didn't play outdoor. They played at the Metrodome. So it, oh, was, okay. it was outdoor <laughs> soccer <laughs> indoors. Yeah, quote unquote outdoor. And then they played the indoor down at the old uh, Met Center. Okay. Where uh, the North Stars played hockey yeah. in the winter. Oh, right, right, and and so with the what was the indoor soccer culture like? Because uh, we we've heard about this shift again. If you read the Wikipedia articles about U.S. soccer, you see like, well, there was a period when there was all these indoor leagues, and then it was I think the early '90s before the first big outdoor pro league started kicking off, like the A League and stuff. Correct. Well, uh, to go to the first part of the question. Uh, it, you, there was a little bit of a cult feel to indoor soccer. And at the same time, there were a lot of people who were saying, well, yeah, that's the American version. That's what will become popular. It's not this, you know, European thing, because a lot of regular American sportsmen, oh, soccer, that's European. That's, uh, we don't do anything but American uh, sports like, uh, like hockey and uh, those others. But... Uh, yeah, so it was kind of a cult thing, and they really thought it was going to become popular. But it didn't really, and indoor never really has. What, what do you think was the reason for that? To be honest, I'm not sure exactly. I think for the soccer purist, it is so different. I mean, you know, you're still heading the ball, you're still mm -hmm. kicking the ball. But, I mean, it's not even futsal, you know. You're bouncing yeah. passes off, off the, the boards. Yeah. So it, 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 it looks like uh, hockey on, uh, on turf is what it looks like. Yeah. And in many ways, when you think about indoor strategy, you think basketball and you mm -hmm. think hockey. 
because it so much resembles that. It's not real soccer. With indoor soccer, it's like they missed both markets. They tried to get the American market with indoor sports like football and basketball and hockey, and they just missed that because it was, like you said, too European for most American fans. And then did that uh, soccer fans or European expat um, fan base because it wasn't soccer. It wasn't outdoor soccer. It wasn't, it, it wasn't even new. futsal. You know? yeah, it was yeah, nothing like, that they recognized. They just missed both markets completely. and It just fell apart. No, no. Doing well, the- it never completely fell apart. Indoor soccer has kind of survived at this level. There's a major indoor soccer league now that still operates. Yeah, right. yeah. You, you won't know hardly any of the people. I know a couple because they used to play for the Thunder. Yeah, but- it, it, it's a lot of guys that um, like used to play in USL or um, I think now a few of the like NASL 2.0 guys. They've kind of transitioned there just if they can't find other jobs. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's still some places that I think Baltimore, if I remember right, gets a couple thousand people a game. Uh, to, Baltimore, Wichita, Kansas, Milwaukee. Milwaukee yeah, has yeah, the Milwaukee always, wave. Uh, they, yeah. They've been a signature franchise. Uh, kind of to go back into that, uh, jump around time wise a little bit. A recent huge star in indoor soccer was a fellow by the name of Leo Gibson. Leo Gibson played here for three years outdoors with the Thunder. Mm-hmm. And we eventually yeah. cut him, and he went into indoor soccer, and he started scoring a ton, and he became a star of indoor soccer. Now, in, in the late 80s and before, again, the American Professional Soccer League kicked off in the 90s, what was... What was it like, again, just as a soccer fan, did you just kind of not... Because the shot heard around the world was 88 or when when America tried to qualify for the 1990 World Cup. Uh, well, it would have been like 89, maybe? Because cause that, that, to me, those are, that's the like first thing that someone has... American soccer fans refer to when they talk about following world soccer again, that's, that's the one that I hear the shot heard around the world qualifying for 1990. Was that in your consciousness? Were you kind of aware that that was happening? No, not really. Uh, later on, once I became involved with the thunder, I learned a little history. Uh, one of the big things that began to build soccer again was these regional leagues. And I believe it was 1980. 88, 87, 88, 89, when the USISL was created. Mm-hmm. And that grew very quickly. Started out as one league of uh, just a handful of teams. Next season, it was like 20-some teams. The next season, they've got two leagues. And the USISL eventually renamed itself USL. Right. Right. Which we know of now. But that all started in the late 80s. And when did you get involved in outdoor soccer again and start watching outdoor soccer again? I had come back uh, from my job in uh, radio in Idaho Falls, Idaho. I had come back to the Twin Cities. And uh, I was uh, uh, dating a woman at the time, and we went to the... uh, to this little carnival thing in Fridley that they had, you know, the, the, the cheap rides, and, and they had a drawing, and one of the things that was being offered was an autographed Minnesota Thunder soccer ball. 
And I went, well, that's interesting. And practically nobody has entered. Uh, this is <laughs> this is a cheap win for me. I got a good shot at this. Out. Just like the podcast test on this one. And I won that sucker. And I asked the woman uh, operating this thing, because they had the boom box and stuff like that. She knew nothing about it. But this, this woman says, well, you know, there's a team that plays up in Blaine. And I went, What? <laughs> and so this was during the off seasons but uh, once the off season next season which i think was 1995 i started going to the games and at first you know it was just a couple few games next season it was like about half the season next season after that i hit every game and then time to get the season tickets what what was it like at Nessie in the mid nineties, mid to late nineties. Let me tell you, uh, being involved with soccer up to the point, you know, where I was able eventually to work for United for a couple of years, uh, it very much I fell in love with the Minnesota Thunder in a way that I've never been interested in any professional sports club. Because the relationship with the fans was so incredibly intimate. Uh, just a few examples. Uh, in the 90s and the early 2000s, when you went to a Thunder game, after the game was over, win, lose, or draw, if, uh, if there wasn't uh, a flood coming out of the sky or something, 15 to 20 minutes after the game, everyone was allowed on the pitch. Everyone. Kids, parents, whomever, the players would stand there somewhere in the field or sitting on the bench with a Sharpie pen, and they would just autograph, and they would keep autographing until just about everyone who wanted one got one. And it would be a half an hour, three quarters of an hour, or an hour. And it was wonderful because that's the way that a closeness was built between the fans. Uh, the kids would take their soccer balls out there and they'd be kicking in the goals. Yep. I always kind of wonder how many kids, you know, went on to big things in soccer just by being able to go down in that pitch and take shots like the guys they just saw doing. It's it's. I saw something similar at uh, Silverbacks Park, actually, as late as 2014. After the game, I remember Minnesota United was playing. And they just let everybody onto the pitch. And I, was, I, I remember wandering onto the pitch being like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. But it yeah. was, you know. this That was my reaction with the Thunder the first few times I went. But they kept on letting the people down there all the time. <laughs> and I eventually said, well, it must be all right. So what the hell? Yeah. So very intimate. The team and the players kind of get to know the fans. And was was it fun as a party? Or was it kind of more family-oriented? It was different than Bloomington because Bloomington was just straight party. With the Thunder, yeah, it was much more family. And also there were people who actually knew something about the game who went to it. And so there was a lot of discussion on that. You could learn by talking to the players either on the pitch, you'd have a minute or two with them to talk about this or that, or they also held after-game parties. Uh, the players needed something to eat after the game. And so they'd make an arrangement with uh, one of the local sports bars or restaurants, and the players would come in and uh, 
get their food for free in exchange for, you know, some advertising space at the stadium or in the program. And the players would just sit down there. And if you wanted to, you wandered over and had a conversation with them. Another thing about it was that you could talk to anyone in the club as far as the front office went. You could talk to the president. You could talk to the owner. You could call him up on the phone. You could ask for a favor. Uh, I remember in the mid-2000s when the club started drawing a little more people again, they were back uh, at uh, the NSC, and there was talk of moving the supporter section, you know, to the end of the pitch. And the supporters went, well, do you have to do that? And they negotiated, and so they got a corner. They got partially seating along the sideline and partially at the back. Uh, the, the scoreboard that's at the NSC was a negotiation between the fans and the club. They used to have uh, the thing with the lights, you know, not the big, huge screen, but just that, you know, simple light display yeah. electronic scoreboard that you see at so many high schools. Well, we have, or the NSC has a manual clock, and they have the hand put the mm-hmm. thing on there, and that was with negotiating with the fans. Uh, when, when the dark clouds formed... Uh, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, but when the dark clouds formed, then when they had the banquet, a lot of the players showed up. The the Buzz Lagos or or, uh, or Amos or uh, Donnie Grimens, who were three coaches, they showed up at this thing. Yeah, I think I I showed up towards the end of that transition when we were leaving that more intimate atmosphere i think 2013 2014 even yeah there was some of that but then after those years progressively there was less and less and less as as kind of soccer became more of a spectacle attendance went up the kind of structure around the sport uh tightened up a bit and i i, I do miss it nick in uh, a second ago off the air was saying that he misses that as well and i think uh most people that you that you would speak to who've been in those days will tell you that it's something that we don't really have anymore in the same way, and it and it changes. Um, to, to, to take kind of a, a a jump back though to the late nineties, maybe even okay. the early two thousands. Yeah. Can you talk to me about when things like watching the Premier League, watching the U.S. and the World Cup, when that started to matter? Did did, did you start going to watch games that weren't a Minnesota team at a certain point? Was it easy to do? It wasn't particularly easy to do. The first thing that happened, and it happened in the late 90s and 2000s, is that for some reason, uh, the, uh, the Star Tribune, uh, in their agate-type page, you know, the little tiny print where they have the little yeah, scores, yeah. for some reason that no one knows why, they started putting down the uh, English Premier League table the uh, 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 Serie A table uh, for like about four or five countries. They would put it on there and the scores. That's all that would be in there. But they put it in. And if you were a soccer fan, you went, hey, you know, I'm not getting to watch the games, but at least I know a little bit of what's going on out there. Yeah, I even even remember that when I was a kid, like right at that time, probably about 2001 is when I first started to like notice, hey, you know, there's soccer in here. That's it w- weird. It was the first 
hint to me, uh, along with the you know increase in youth soccer, that said, hey, this is actually beginning to enter the culture again. And it did in a different, more substantial way than it did with uh, the NASL. And uh, I feel like when the 2006 World Cup came around, I remember trying to convince people at Beloit College where I was to to go and watch the, the final with me. That was the easy one. But any other game, there was nobody who wanted to watch anything. 2010 rolls around and suddenly you got bars full of people and Americans, not just folks from other countries who want to um, get involved, who want to follow the U.S. team, want to talk about the game afterwards. And 2014 was this massive carnival, I feel like, it, which I was here in the Twin Cities for. And it's been really interesting to see that that kind of rise from the places you're talking about where we j- you just read the scores to kind of slowly starting to see the stuff pop up on TV to now having the Nomad booking the 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 entire lot next door to have this like carnival of soccer every time the World Cup rolls around. I'm going to kind of go back to to highlight that contrast uh, and go back to the thunder on this. Um, there was a fellow by the name of Dan Barnes who created a uh, internet bulletin board called USLdiscussions.com. And he had a ton of rooms there, a ton of room for every team from uh, D4 all the way up to uh, D2, which was uh, uh, USL's the A-League. And people would get together on that. That was the only way that we could follow the league, was to go to USL Discussions... Because people would be posting the scores, they'd be posting little game summary, they'd be posting the news. The fans became the journalists. You didn't have away matches to be able to watch those. What? You could you watch away matches? No. Uh, you could uh, the Minnesota Thunder. You could watch a lot of the home matches if you had cable in the north suburbs because they put it on the public access yeah, yeah. channel. Okay. <laughs> wow, that that's I mean t- talk about coming coming a ways away from that. Now I mean now you know you jump on Twitter and you're assaulted by I mean literally not literally but no, like not, not literally. <laughs> figuratively assaulted but still assaulted by opinions and like thoughts that people have about things and that every they want you to know. From seven different angles. Oh yeah, yeah I'm on every single page. I'm yeah. going to kind of uh back away from that. That's kind of one of my pet peeves things is that with the increase in popularity and the increase in the audience, there's also an increase of people who, A, enjoy the anonymity of the Internet and feel that they can say anything, and B, people who know almost nothing but have (laughs) no realization of it. And Well, I guess I'll do this real briefly. The sad part of, uh, of that, and especially the people, you know, who come on and say, oh, that player, he doesn't try or anything like that. He doesn't care about it. He's in it for the money. Players, a lot of players and their friends and their family do read these mm-hmm. Reddits, do read these bulletin boards. Uh, there was a, well, there is a player used to play for the Thunder, worked uh, in uh, 
in the camps with United. Uh, a fellow by the name of Craig Malice, he was a midfielder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we still bump into each other and talk. But anytime he introduces me to somebody, he introduces me as the only guy who ever posted anything positive about his play. <laughs> <laughs> Malice wasn't actually that bad if if I've heard the stories right. No. I'm, they no. might have come from you, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a halfway decent player. I mean, uh, he, he couldn't get consistent starting time. But uh, he was a decent midfielder. Uh, his athleticism was was pretty good. But he was uh, beautiful crosses, beautiful set play kicks, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I I really like that part of his game. Now, to to kind of to cap us off a little bit, I want you to talk about your time as a researcher because if I understand the timeline right, you were a Combine player, researcher, and club historian for the Thunder oh, between yeah. 2005 and 2007. But then you also worked for, um, you you continued working after you moved to Milwaukee in 2007 for the Stars and United. And then you were hired by United in 2015 as a domestic player researcher until 2017. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this is another reason why I love the club uh, was because... I was given the opportunity to learn much more than I ever would have as just a fan by being able to participate, by being able to reach out to the club and actually have the club reaching out to me. I'll try and readers digest the heck out of this thing. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, basically, uh, like I said, there was no news coming out of the newspaper, so you had to create your own, particularly in the off-season. And uh, I was on the Minnesota Thunder website, and they had their page combine time, you know, uh, come in, try out for the Thunder. And they let the players know who had been accepted by just putting their name and their last team, and they listed it right on the page for anyone to see. Mm-hmm. And I went, well, here's something interesting. I bet uh, a bunch of us would like to know just who's coming to try out. And so I started doing that. I, 2004 was the first one I put out. Back at that time, there were like six different search engines. I was I Google, Dogpatch, Spider. And I would just look up the player, and I would just go page after page after page after page of listings. And I would take links, anything, uh, their records, news stories about them, interviews about them, high school, internet school projects, uh, Twitter, Facebook, whatever I could find. And I'd put those links up and I would go, here are the players. Here's all the information I could find on them. Go ahead and hit the links if you're interested. And I did that in 2004. And in 2005, I get a call from Jim Froslid, who was general manager, president of the Thunder. And he said, could you come down to the offices? I'd, I'd like to talk to you uh, about something. Uh, we can, I think we, uh, we can do something for each other. And I went, sure. And I came down and he said, you are finding things out about these players. We had no idea. <laughs> How are you doing this? And I said, I've just combed the internet like crazy. And he said, before you put that report on the discussion boards, would you put that out for us like a couple days in advance so we can go through it 
and make some decisions, maybe eliminate a guy or two. And I said, sure. Uh, but in exchange, I want to be able to go to the combines. Mm. I mean, I'm not looking, you know, to be part of the action. I just want to be able to go and watch it. And also, I noticed that the club doesn't really have a historian. And so I would kind of like that job because I think that's important for, uh, for a club's culture, you know, is to know what came before. And he said, yeah, sure. So they gave me a bunch of records and yearbooks and stuff like that for me to take home, which I still use. Nice. And, uh, and I started going to the combine and it's amazing what I learned there. Uh, I learned, for instance, uh, I mean, it's an obvious thing now, but a lot of times back then, someone would go, oh, he's from England? He plays great, because he's from England. He's seen him play? No, but he's from England. He's got to, you know. <laughs> right. And I learned, no, that's not true. Another thing I learned is that a guy can look great in drills and the one-on-one, -on -one, and he can run fast, you know, and he can fake the guy out in the little drill here. But it's how you play. Mm, All that yeah, other stuff, yeah. that's like little, tiny, maybe slightly interesting, but it's how you play. And it was illustrated to me again and again and again at the Combine. I'd say a guy, you know, who could whip through all the drills, beat the guy one-on-one -on -one in the little drill, uh, wonderful speed, stuff like that. And then he'd go play. And you would see he really didn't know how to play. I remember a, uh, a uh, wingback from a Michigan college who came, and he looked great during the drills and all that sort of stuff. And then he played, and he kept on doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, if he managed to take a ball, he'd take it up the sideline, get to about uh, midfield. He'd take a quick look down, and if no one was obviously open, he would turn and pass it back to his central defender on that side. Almost every time. And as a result, the other team, they knew that, and they started taking advantage of it. Yeah. And he never learned. And so that's just an example. Mm -hmm. and, and can you tell us any, like, particular successes or, or any, or, or are, you, are your lips sealed? I'll tell you what. I, I, I have a few uh, sort of stories that I've told before. Uh one of the reasons that Prasad called me, besides a report, was uh, we had one of the banquets uh, with, with the fans, and, and Buzz Lagos was the coach then, and Prasad, general manager. And like the very day of the banquet, I was running through the search engines, and I had seen where we had loaned a defender by the name of Mike Wilson. He was a New Zealander. Mm -hmm. And... Season was over, so we were going to loan him back to Team Wellington in New Zealand, which is kind of a semi-pro league that they have there. Yep. And so I went to the banquet, and I'm sitting there, and it's time. Go ahead and ask questions of the coach. And I said, okay, uh, Buzz, do you have any plans to loan out any more players besides Mike Wilson? And Buzz went... <laughs> What are, you, what are you talking about? No, I, I don't know of any players, but what do you mean Mike Wilson's being loaned out? <laughs> <laughs> and Frostland's at the table and he goes, 
we just finished the the paperwork on that two hours ago. How do you know this? (laughs) (laughs) And I went, Team Wellington leaked it. They leaked it earlier today. (laughs) Well, in their defense, it was already past the banquet time and when they leaked it. Uh, that's so great. That, yeah, that's one of the ways that why I wound up being asked. And once I started researching, uh, every once in a while you'd run into an odd sort of player. And I have, I've got a few stories, but there's two that I mm-hmm. really stick out in my mind. Uh, one year we got an application from a 33-year-old Nigerian forward who was playing in Germany's uh, second and third divisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was looking through his stuff, and it looked interesting. He had a few really good years down there. And then I stumbled on to where he had been with the Stuttgart kickers, and he had been released from the team. And so I did a little more digging, and I found out why. And the reason was was because he had punched a fellow player, <laughs> fractured his eye socket. Oh, oh boy! You'll you'll still find that if you dig on the internet, you'll still find it under uh, uh, weird soccer injuries. Put that in Google, and you'll find the story. But basically, and the exact quote that the guy gave as to why he did it to the press, <laughs> he said. Because he persistently farted on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> that was his reason. I mean, I don't punch Collins. I don't think that's a reason to punch somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Needless to Jeez. say, we did not Thanks. bring him in. Oh, man. And there's one more. There's one more, which gained a little international notoriety. Uh-huh. We got an application from a guy by the name of Greg Axelrod, A-C-K. S-E-L-R-O-D, French. Uh, He claimed to have played for Paris uh, Saint-Germain's reserve team and youth club and and had uh, gone on a loan to Arsenal and had been on the reserve team and all that. And he had his own website, and he had pictures of him in the uniform working out with other Paris Saint-Germain people, and he had video of him supposedly scoring these goals. And I went, God, well, this guy looks interesting. Let's see what else I can find on him. <laughs> and the thing was, I couldn't find anything from Paris Saint-Germain, from French news sources, anything, not even the fan sites, nothing. So all I've got is, you know, his website and uh, news stories about him, but I can't find them where they're supposedly sourced from. So I told that to the front office. Front office said, well, I don't know. This sounds a little weird. We're going to skip on him. Two years later, and once again, you can still find it on the Internet, CSKA Sophia brings him in for a trial. <laughs> First Division Club in Bulgaria. Yeah. Yep. And he's horrible. Absolutely horrible. For three days, they run him. They're doing it, and they can't figure, is he injured? Is it what? And so they started digging. He had never played for Perry St. Germain. He had never played anything but recreational soccer leagues, you know. 
But basically, he <laughs> mocked this up, and he actually fooled Bulgaria. <laughs> he became, you know, he got his 15 minutes of fame in yeah. Paris. You know, his thought was, well, I thought I could play pretty good, so I figured I would uh, maneuver myself <laughs> into some tryouts. See, that, oh that's God. like what you wish the, all these Twitter jocks would do. It's like all these guys are like, I could have scored that goal. Oh. All right, let's doctor some PSG videos for you. <laughs> get you a resume, oh. get you into the combine. Yeah. Once oh. again, a lot of the people posting, you know, it's like, oh, that's so easy. Oh, that's so this. And I say, I, I say in my head, go read some George Plimpton, man. You know, <laughs> find out how tough this is. Uh, I don't know, some people might, out there might not know he was a journalist, he was a writer, and basically he went and he tried all this stuff. He arranged it with teams or whatever. The first thing he did was he sparred with, uh, oh, God, Archie Moore, heavyweight champion Archie Moore. Jeez. And got yeah. thoroughly pummeled. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah, as one would <laughs> uh, say. Pitched in an all-star uh, exhibition uh, baseball game. I think I've read this story, almost, yes. Yeah, I mean, he wrote books about all this. He golfed against uh, Palmer and Nicholas. Uh, Paper Lion was his uh, most famous one. That became a movie when he went and tried out uh, to be a quarterback for the Detroit Lions in 63. <laughs> But you read that, and, and if you have any smarts at all, you realize that it's a different world. No, you probably can't do this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you should get that pretty quickly straightened out. Um, I uh, also want to recommend to everybody that they go Google Grigoire, G-R-E-G-O-I-R-E, Axelrod, A-K-C-E-L-R-O-D. <laughs> This dude is still scamming. Like he is I found some pictures of him like in some weird racing stuff and like some like small business. Like literally it says uh today my Fusion XL website had a pleasant surprise visit by a soccer superstar from France, Gregoire Axelord, one of France's most recognizable soccer stars and models. <laughs> this dude is still Still doing his stuff. Wow. Oh. Uh, if only persistence alone got you on the first team. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break. We shall return with MNUFC, MLS, etc., etc. Our usual episode in part two of the show. soccer it's got fascinating stories off the air you've given us enough that i feel like we need to have you back at some point yeah uh, i think absolutely. that like <laughs> oh, feel, feel free to contribute to a dark clouds charity auction in the future for it but we might just have you back for free <laughs> well for our listeners right now i am scuffing my toe in the imaginary dust puddle at my feet and in, in embarrassment and <laughs> thank you very much in other words yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's time for us to jump into our regularly scheduled notes for the show, which thankfully are quite sparse. So, we'll, uh, listener, we'll get you out of here in about another half hour or so. Uh, famous last words. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> One hour later. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven <laughs> hours later. A lot later. of last words. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. So let, let's go into our first segment of the show, which we call Don't Look Back in Anger. This segment we discuss Minnesota United FC and we we don't look back we look forward only forward good god only forward 2019 <laughs> y'all and uh, hey it was the super draft yeah what yeah. happened the, the uh, loons did things which was exciting and yeah. fun and great and and Caleb and uh, Colin you guys did videos some Plus, more successful than others I. <laughs> Periscope is not my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Caleb, you were able to talk a little bit about Ozzy Alonso on live video. Yeah. And uh, Colin, you you did uh, some stuff about uh, our, our our first set of super draft picks. Yep. Uh, I should also note producer Nick when Ozzy Alonso was mentioned, did the choo-choo, uh, air pump <laughs> the air. So um, what, what's the Cliff Notes version of our draft? And who do we get today? Are they worth anything? Probably not because they're second day draft picks. So, so they're worth something from a human intrinsic level. You're talking Aww. about Kevin Rodriguez <laughs> from NIU and uh, Mitchell Osman from Rio Grande Valley. No, the University of Rio Grande, they oh. would want to tell you, Oops. which surprisingly enough is in Ohio. That's like Miami University, where I was like, Miami, yeah, woo. It turns out it's in, oh, the University of Miami. Which which everybody finds out is in Ohio. I'd yep. like to think that there's just a dorm of really upset frat boys there. It was like I was fooled. It's January. It's like this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so so it's worse sleeves. Oh. so yeah. so K Rod and um as you called him, Colin, and uh, I'm gonna call him Mitchell Osmond Maz, Huz Maz as a player. I mean, he's Australian, so unless he does a green card, he probably won't make the roster. Yeah. I yeah. like to think of him as the uh, last Osmond brother. He's <laughs> <It's> a <pretty laughs> old guy, and I remember them. <laughs> I, I feel bad. Jimmy apparently had a stroke on stage when he was doing, I think it was Peter Pan, like, last week or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, hopefully Mitchell Osmond doesn't have a stroke. Uh, Unless it's one of us. genius. <laughs> but um, in all seriousness, um, Osmond, I actually would have looked at in the second or third round if he wasn't going to cost an international slot to roster. He's tall and pretty much everything about the University of Rio Grande suggests that they are a NAIA powerhouse. They let in seven goals in 21 games this year. Dang, he's the center back for that. Yes. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Yep, and he also apparently did pretty well for the Thunder Bay Chill up in the PDL. Um, didn't do that well this year, but he also wasn't playing the full year because he had to worry about college and stuff. Mm-hmm. So what, what about K-Rod? He doesn't exist. There's no <laughs> photos of man. There actually are. He, uh, he, refu- he, I refuse to look at him. He's got a page no. on the Northern Illinois University website. I looked at it today. It even has links to the Mid-American Conference website that says that he was a first-team all-conference. Sure. <laughs> he, I, well, if we if we sign them, they're roster pillars for Madison. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, honestly, 
up until they signed Brian Sylvester today, I thought that Dane St. Clair was going to be a roster filler for Madison. He was our seventh pick. Hey, so Ford Madison signed Brian Sylvester, yeah? Yeah, you didn't see that. No, sorry. I've, I've, this is busy season now at my employer. So this week I'm going to be uh, checking over high school transcripts to make sure they've been properly submitted. So that's that's going to be my week. I'm, I'm going to be doing that instead of shouting at people on Twitter or Reddit. Uh, don't get me started on Reddit this week. Nope, 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 not to bring it up. Nope, right. nope, nope. All right, so cool. So that that's K Rod and Moz. What about uh, DSC Dancing Clay and then Chase Casper, who we're gonna call Kaz or Chaz? Can we call Chase Casper Chaz? Chaz, okay, Chaz. That's what we're going with. And uh, Hassani Dotson. You're not even gonna come up with a nickname for him. Uh, HD. HD. Well, I thought you really did. Yeah. Ha dot or no, Dotty. I, I like HD. Yeah. HD. HD. Okay. So <laughs> what about my boy HD and uh, uh, these other oh guys? Oh my God. Um, I regret this. Yeah. Dane St. Clair, <laughs> uh, kind of a sweeper keeper type. Had a, a few howler sorts of young keeper that gets way too far off his line sort of gaffes. Hopefully he straightens that out. And he did. Um, make a run to the college cup final didn't let in a single goal for 500 minutes with the Terrapins. Um, they got his left back teammates and apparently roommates and uh, chase Gasper really good when he's been on the field. Some injury problems and Maryland uh, won the national championship this year. Yes, they did. And didn't concede a goal throughout the tournament, Yep, which is impressive if they can keep that form up. Right. You know, this almost sounds like a uh, a trend for Minnesota United. If you want to go back to Sammy Najak and uh, and uh, Hildebrandt, they same thing. Uh, looked like a lot of talent, good shot stoppers, mm-hmm. but every once in a while they would pull the absolute boner. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen any video of Dan St. Clair throwing it into his own net. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, but if that happens, we, we we've got a social media strategy to bail them out. Exactly. Sorted. Okay. Um, also, um, that I'm sorry. Also, that uh, that goalkeeper that we're rumored to be looking at from uh, from Boca Juniors. Yeah, Rossi. Augustine Rusty. Same profile. Yeah. Exactly. In fact. So Augustine Rossi is a 23 year old. He is uh, going to be on a year and a half loan to Minnesota United. All but confirmed. Multiple sources now. Reporting as of today. On both sides of the Panama Canal. Uh, yes. Future fee potential of $12.5 million, I think if that's how. That's the Which, buying option. Yes. Buying option. So gotcha. let, let's start the lot. Um, lot the Razemboli Memorial segment of talking about international goalkeepers in MLS. The history isn't good, first of all, no. using international sauce. But... We've talked in this offseason about how we need a solid upgrade to Bobby Shuttleworth. Minnesota United needs a really good keeper. And, and some I, competition. Yeah. Yes, correct. Absolutely. Rossi would basically walk into the starting spot unless we want to piss him off. Uh, Lance Lang, cough, cough. I think <laughs> I'm actually supposed to cough when I say that and not no, to yeah, say cough, yeah. cough. Okay. It's pretty right. transparent. We don't do it's that. It's like you're yeah. reading stage directions at this point. I mean, that's uh, everything I say is in the notes, you know, just like <laughs> everything. Even that, this that I'm saying right now, it's in the notes. See, and then it says pause. Okay. Uh, now, should we take the line 23 again? <laughs> <laughs> Can you pick it up at the question mark after I'm Ron Burgundy? 
So, 23-year-old Augustine Rossi plays exactly the same way as DSC. And so, we're going to see, hopefully, DSC and uh, uh, Roz, as I'm going to call him from now on, be uh, basically, hopefully, training together, hopefully learning from one another. And maybe when Roz decides to leave in a year and a half, we don't have to pay $12.5 million to buy him, which is extremely expensive. Yeah, Yeah, And everything involved suggests that they're planning on him not getting purchase at the end. Basically, it's a, hey, you want a purchase option on every single one of these MLS incoming loans? Okay, here you go. Yeah. So There were purchase, purchase options on Lechi Domez and Machimiano, too. So Yeah. And they're both gone. So. Yeah, that they kind of. I, I believe they are with the balls that Alexi Gomez put into orbit. Uh, yes. That's about where they are. Hey, Ozzy Alonso is not officially a loon. We are reportedly. We already said that. Yeah, I know. We celebrated. Oh, I'm, I'm just you know underlining the points of who oh, we've okay. actually signed. This is how important it is. Ozzy Alonso is a loon. Thank you. And loons are reportedly completing a deal for a. I'm not gonna say that. Who put that in the notes? Jerry replacement? He is irreplaceable. Okay. Hey, we need to take a break right now while I break some things on top of whoever's <laughs> head wrote this. Are you, Jerry replacement. Are you Jeez. saying that I need to put all my stuff in the box to the left? <laughs> to the left? Okay. All right. Well, anyway, yes, we need a new fullback. And this guy, Roman Matanier, might be the dude. Yeah, uh, Metanier is a 28-year-old right back, um, currently the backup at Stade Rem, um, seventh place in Ligue 1 as of this past weekend. Was there starting right back all the way through their marauding performance in uh, Ligue 2 last year. Um, won the league, I think, by like 15 points, conceded 10 fewer goals than anybody else, so... He's got the pedigree of somebody that's laid waste to a not that fantastic level of competition and then promptly got himself replaced by a 23-year-old, I think, Belgian or something like that. Ford Bichot is still in the rumor lineup today, a rumor coming out of Sweden that we have put in an offer for the man uh, thank you for Mark to find Mark Fangemeyer for finding that uh, on Twitter. Are, are we sure that we're thanking him for reminding us that we might spend that much on him? No. So uh, we we will see what happens uh, with with the rest of these signings that are rumored. Anything else Minnesota United related that anybody would like to add? Um, the home opener at Allianz sold out. Oh yeah, in minutes. Yeah. I mean, Good. was anyone surprised by this? No. 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 Okay. Not Thank at you. all. Thank you. Uh, just want to... Yeah, anyway, let's just leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on now to a segment that we call The Championship. But The Championship is a game. Is it a game? Is it a league? No, it's a segment where we discuss America's top leagues, the NWSL and MLS. Uh, draft stuff, my notes say. Yes, indeed, because there are drafts in both MLS and NWSL this week. Cincinnati. Hey, 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 hey. Let's start with the NWSL. Like, it, let's be chronological. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Because both drafts were held in Chicago. The NWSL draft on Thursday. MLS on Friday. Friday. Yes, indeed. Um, so, Tierna Davidson, Stanford defender, uh, plays for the U.S. national team as well. Uh, picked number one going to the Chicago Red Stars. Fantastic 
pickup for them. Jordan Hur in Chicago drafted in the fourth round was is was is was a dofer named April Brocklin. Um Bakken. Bakken. I messed that up completely in every this, this way is I not, could have. Uh, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're thinking too much of Barks and Wreck, you know, with the uh Yeah. 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 yeah uh, I just can't words right now. So I'm gonna move on. Someone I, else talk, well, please. I suspect that uh Bakken has a Fairly decent chance of making it. I've been watching her the past couple of years. I usually catch uh, a handful of the Gophers women's game during the season. Uh, pretty good speed for a woman. Uh, pretty good. Uh, uh, oh, what am I looking for? Uh, good runs, things like that. Yeah. Uh, she can use some holdup work. Probably a little bit at that level. Um, the thing that... I really like about her is that she's really keen on kind of outside in sort of runs, which is a little bit weird coming from a a central forward that she actually likes to challenge the spaces between the center back and the fullback. You know, it's, it's cool to see. And then the end product was pretty solid for the Gophers this year. I've been following her pretty close because she like myself is an Eden Prairie native. So I'm glad to see that uh, someone born with a silver spoon in her mouth as well was able to uh, make it into NWSL. Let's hope that uh, she's able to go far with the Red Stars, who are, of course, until Minnesota gets an NWSL team, kind of a natural pick, I think, for teams that Mm. folks in this state follow. Also, let's hope she never, ever gets mentioned the same sentence as Sky Blue FC, ever. Yeah, she's... Except for scored seven goals against Sky Blue (laughs) FC. Yeah. Uh, Sky Blue FC managed to draft uh, Haley Mace and Julia Ashley with the, because they had the second and sixth overall picks in the draft. Um, both said that they do not intend to report to the team. Haley Mace, I believe, is now currently trying out for teams in uh, Australia, Australia yeah. Yeah, yeah. and has a couple of European countries lined up next if she isn't able to get a job down under. It's widely expected that she'll be able to get a job with, I believe, Melbourne City, if I recall. And this is concerning because last year there were several exposés. Basically, there was one big one published about Sky Blue FC's management being shambles, them being unable to give proper living conditions to their players, book real hotels, just horrible conditions that their players had to put up with. And then after that, you had prominent players coming out and also criticizing the team and its administration. This is, of course, the team owned by New Jersey governor, uh, whose name I'm now just, I had it like a... Phil Murphy, thank That's you. That's one point thank for Colin. One point for Colin. Not you still zero. So, yeah. so he goes I don't know, somehow this strikes around. me as uh, a further example of front office failure. Before you draft a player, you really ought to check with them to see if they're going <laughs> well, no. to be. This, this is pretty basic to me somehow. To be fair, um, the GM, Tony Novo, said something to the effect of, once we talk to Haley and you know discuss some of the changes that the club is going to be undertaking for the 2019 season, we are very confident that she will be reporting. Not so much. No fucking way. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, was he was he in the front office of uh, Perry Saint Germain? I believe he signs Lata, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Messi, all yeah. of them uh, uh, together. 
Uh, so anyway, at the same time, yeah. So 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 that's kind of a, a, a shit show that's gonna keep unfolding as the NWSL season rolls on. Uh, <laughs> Washington Spirit have signed a player named Sam Stapp. <laughs> Brutal defender, just just bodies in the box, man. Just... <laughs> Her play is very sharp. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> She's able to make those incisions in she opposition cut. defense. Yeah, she makes she's... good hard cuts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. She's able to bolster morale. Uh, that that's that's a knife geek joke. Sorry. That okay, I killed it. Yeah, I'm I killed you it. To apologize. Yeah, you, you stabbed that into like a million million little pieces. Yeah, there. You really stabbed that riff right there. Okay. All right, well, uh, let's now move on to talking about Ye Old MLS, whose draft was, of course, the following day on Friday. And uh, FC Cincinnati proceeding on the path to becoming Minnesota United Light, correct? Um, I, I mean, FC Cincinnati actually took a ton of players rather than, I believe, two in the first year. Well, they also bought all of Philadelphia's picks because Philadelphia's coach took one look at no, all no. their GM. Yeah, GM, GM went to GM, the combine yeah. and it was like, no, no. Hard, no. Pass. hard pass on all of yeah. you. Like <laughs> FC Cincinnati even gave away like two of those final picks because they passed in the third round. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, they they completed a deal to hold on to Stephen Bateshore's rights. Um, no, hold hostage Stephen Bateshore's rights. Um, he was available in the expansion draft. They told LAFC with no uncertain terms that he would be picked by them dead on first. And LAFC said, okay, what do you want? We'll do anything. We'll do anything. $175,000 in GAM and the 16th overall pick. Nice. That's a lot for somebody that was deemed not in your most protectable 11 players. <laughs> yeah. Wait, why was LAFC allowed to leave players? Okay, no wait, I'm getting confused. That's right, because they were they the players that LA the teams that LAFC picked from were not in the expansion draft, but LAFC right. itself was. That's correct. Okay, I remember now. Don't worry. There's a flow chart at the end. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, hey, with their number one pick, FC Cincinnati picked uh, Frankie, Frankie Amaya. Uh, and uh, he's not an Italian mobster. No. <laughs> he no. is now. He's no. Someone send, send him a fedora and a dead horse's head. Yeah. Um, he's <laughs> actually. Not, don't do that. No. He's no. a do not do that. He's yeah. a midfielder. He played for the UCLA Bruins until recently. Yep. Um, also was on the USU 20 squad uh, for the uh, CONCACAF qualifiers. Very likely is going to be on the squad for the U20 World Cup. It's a solid pickup. I mean, I think he might be easy to knock over as a number 10, but he's also one of the most skillful players that was available in the draft. You know, you can't really fault them too hard for it. So some teams did well, some teams did poorly, and um, I want to—I just want to pick a bone with the fact that we didn't have any Shamit Shom type, you know, inadvertent cursing on the mic or any sort of kind of faux pas on the stage. I was really hoping for that. 
did, <laughs> did not come to pass. Everything was too heartfelt this year. It's very milk toast, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I just want someone to go up and be like, fuck you to all the haters. I told you, just like lift up his phone and it's playing like Big Papa. <laughs> he tries to like rip the... the oh, I can't... I just drew a blank on what that's called even. Lectern? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, he just rips the lectern off. You can't do it. He just walks away and tries to kick it and it hurts his toe. And just gets the scarf. <laughs> Ends up uh, ending his career with a broken foot. <laughs> yes. just, just gets the scarf, sees his like old youth coach and goes to like choke him and be like, you told me this would never happen. Take that. You know, like we need some of that passion. Basically, what I'm saying is we need the XFL of soccer. Basically, what you're saying is we need our youth players to kill their youth coaches for Notch's entertainment. We need Sam stab, 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 stab at MLS. Does she uh, have any brothers? Well, let's well, let's see. Uh, WWE, they're going to try and start the XFL uh, again. Uh, you you want to see them expand? They're they're very much uh, the. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't think their whole their values align with soccer very much. Given that the XFL came out and said, "We will not let our players kneel," and that's one of the main reasons you should watch us. I just want to see the NXSL, like the NASL, <laughs> comes back <laughs> as the XFL of soccer. I thought that was like a soccer league with an NHS in it. <laughs> Hey, I'm going to dump into this segment that the March U.S. men's national team friendlies are likely to be against Ecuador and Chile. Also, Nippon Chopra will be back next week with his report on the lower leagues. For now, though, we'll leave it there for the national teams and the lower leagues and move on to a segment that we call, they call it football. Every football team will be playing football several times and in various combinations. They might have come up with the word, but the English don't call it soccer. And in this segment, we talk about football from the United Kingdom. Wait a minute. Uh, first off, they're the ones who came up with the word, and 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 second and second and second and second of all, look at their uh, their magazines for the sport. It's true. It's the it's soccer. You know, I I, I like the popular restaurant in East St. Paul. I'm a little tongue in cheek with that segment intro. So, <laughs> by the way, go there. Very oh, okay. good food. Very okay. good food. Good to know. Uh, all right, you guys. Are the English soccer, you know, lovers right. here? Not lovers. anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> you, no. Colin's just giving it I'm, up. I'm fucking done. <laughs> yeah, uh, George Michael beat Arsenal. It's a pretty hard thing because he's dead. Yeah. Like. <laughs> okay. Did I'm, Samir Nasri sure score? I mean, Arsenal's never done a dance again. Goes through and got no rhythm. It's not easy to pretend. They were made fools. <laughs> West Ham United, I, wham. I'm, I'm not even... I, Beat I'm, Arsenal 1-0. I'm so happy this happened. <laughs> did did Samir Nasri feature in this? He, he played. He played. Uh, 19-year-old Declan Rice uh, stored for West Ham. Yeah, late. I think he turned 20... He turned 20 like, like yesterday. yesterday so, yeah. so A this day is, afterwards. This is one of the guys who's turned down a call-up from the Republic of Ireland to... And is <laughs> deliberating between Ireland and England. The Republic of Ireland wished him a happy, happy birthday on Twitter with him in an Ireland jersey. Like, happy birthday to... Not just... International, Declan Rice. Not just in a jersey, in their new jersey. Oh, that's right. Holding it up so that the crest is a little bit higher, kind of like, you know, like pumping up the jersey. Mm -hmm. And obviously these were promo shots that were taken before the call-ups that he had refused. So, uh, bit awkward. Yeah, a little bit. Bit awkward. Yeah, a little bit. Also, the fact that 
the one that beat Arsenal is someone that refused a call up from the Republic of Ireland. Like that just <laughs> that's even more that hurts. That yeah. really hurts me, man. Yeah, yeah, you'll remember this till next Christmas. Okay, uh, Brighton over Albion got beaten by Liverpool, and the diver Dom Mo Salah Dwyer. That's not his name. How dare you speak that name in front of him? <laughs> <laughs> So, so How dare you? Salah getting the penalty, beating Brighton Hove Albion. I mean, come on, this is okay. This is the sport we play. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I think it was a penalty, but I'm a little bit biased. But yeah, I mean, good thing this wasn't Ronaldo because otherwise, would be like horrific, bringing the sport into disrepute. Terrible. But it's it's your favorite player. Well, yeah. How can I? You know, and, well, I he, he's done a little reputation the past few games, but I mean, they. There have been arguments that there are penalties for each one, especially the one in Arsenal where he's hit in the back by Satratus three times where he goes down. Yeah, yeah. Don't put that out, sorry. Then we're going to bring that up so soon. Chelsea. <laughs> just don't remind me, man. Okay. Chelsea managed to sneak past Newcastle 2-1. So I was at a my wife's friend's daughter's birthday party and said friend's husband's Trump-supporting father saw William's goal and was like, wow, that was a good goal. That was like the only positive interaction that I had at that entire party. And it had to involve Chelsea. Like this weekend was <laughs> terrible, you guys. Were there any dodge there? I mean No. Oh what? No. Not only that, their oldest kid was terrorized by a dog. So he is deathly afraid of them. So he can't oh. hang out at our house either. Oh, Which, the worst thing in the world, actually. I, no, uh, like the kid's actually pretty awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. oh. but yeah. Sad. Well, I will also add that Rio Ferdinand came out and decided to go like full Mike Ashley defense. Like he loaded his plane with missiles and bombs and just dropped them on everybody who's ever had anything bad to say about Mike Ashley. Well, he's put his own money into the cup. No, Rio, he, he hasn't. hasn't. Uh, well, they're not in debt. Yes, they, they are. They very much are. To him. Yep. Uh, he he uh, he got Rafa. No, Rafa, Rafa wanted to tell him. Yeah. So it's just Rio Ferdinand. Um, Look, just watch out. He's probably going to be coming out with a line of sports direct attire soon. (laughs) Great defender as a player, not so much as a defender of his own opinions on TV. Uh, Great humanitarian, actually. Yeah. So there, that too. So we will say that for him. He'll have our flaws, Notch. Hey, speaking of which, did you guys hear Neil Warnock went full Brexit too? Yeah. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) Yeah, it's just... No. Yeah, he I mean, did. Now we just need that like video of Big Sam drinking like a vase full of wine, just you know, talking about Brexit. That's gonna be next. Anyway. Has uh, it happened already? It probably you reference something that I missed. Spurs. <laughs> no, 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 it hasn't happened already. Well, at least well, yeah. Neil Warnock can get a wall built. <laughs> oh <laughs> boom. <laughs> Sounds like somebody's an ex stand-up comedian over yeah. here. Hey, given uh current uh transfer markets, it's gonna cost five billion to build a good wall in Premier in, League pretty soon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh okay, Tottenham versus Manchester United. This game ended one nil to the Red Devils. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Six wins and six. Who could have predicted this? He should be hired full time and not just as I mean, a caretaker. I mean, David De Gea had to make 11 saves in one game in order to keep it clean. Yeah, sheet. The, like, the expected goals in this game were 
0.9 for Manchester United and two for Tottenham. So it wasn't a great performance by Manchester United, but there was once again bailed out by David De Gea, which means that the best thing that happened to Manchester United after Fergie left was Real Madrid's fast machine breaking a couple <laughs> seasons ago. Yeah, that was such a weird thing to now look back on and be like, yeah. oh, that changed the course of two teams forever. Yeah, it's crazy. Very much so. And uh, we should also mention Harry Kane got hurt at the end of this game. He's out with an ankle injury. <laughs> See, Colin, <laughs> not everything's horrible. <laughs> oh, I, I, I want to mention this kind of, uh, well, a little loosely connected now. Uh, Real Madrid's owner is saying, yeah, we could hire Marino. That's a bad decision. That's a <laughs> terrible decision. As a person who doesn't really cheer for Real Madrid, that's a great decision. Do that, please. <laughs> yeah, actually, come, fantastic. Yeah, as an anti-Francoist. And it's reasoning please. like that that kind of explains Real Madrid's current uh, place in the... Uh, so La Liga table, Scott. What do you th- what do you think about the argument that Mourinho's tactics are just outdated now? That they were built for the mid to late two thousands, and in the twenty tens world, he's just a coach who doesn't know how to handle the superstar player who cannot be shouted at. Well, uh, some of that is a little beyond my pay grade, but it just strikes me again and again and again. There's a three-year pattern where he'll get some results at the beginning and then it drops. That doesn't look like tactics to me so much as it does handling what's going on in the locker room. I, you know, I really thought at the end of this run, he'd just say, like, screw it, LA Galaxy, here I come. And just would <laughs> embrace his, his celebrity kind of status and Go just full be... Heel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, yeah. just be the TV coach, you know? Just just be the guy who, like, appears on TV, says outrageous things, and just get a lot of money doing that, you know? Like, I, I would... If he came to Minnesota and I did that, I would buy, like, a Mourinho. Like, I would buy his, like, coach's outfit instead of the player jerseys. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like he could really do that if he wanted to, but I guess he's got this, like, integrity, wants yeah. to stay in the sport, and... Uh, yeah, you know. well, we'll see if McMahon does form that uh, soccer league. <laughs> uh-huh. There's your first yeah. coach right there. NXSL. Jose yeah. Mourinho takes over the Las Vegas team. How about that? <laughs> yeah, 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 let's do that. Hey, um, we are running right out of time, so all I'm going to say very quickly is um, that uh, Real Betis came pretty close to beating Real Madrid this week in La Liga. Barca beat Abar 3-0, and Messi has scored his 400th league goal. All right. With that, it's time for us to actually call a halt to this show. I'm sorry, Colin. Confessions will have to wait for another week. Um, it, 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 it's been more than a week since my last confession, though. Well, then next week, buddy. Yeah. Hail Marys, though. Like, how many do I have to say? Just just uh, do, do like two Hail Marys, but like the football no, Hail Mary, no. not an actual like the prayer. No, Hail, Hail Henri's. <laughs> and I'm not going to get too mushy here, but I just want to say I've had a blast being a guest here and I want to thank you for bringing me in. And I mean, yeah. as we said, Any, you anytime are more you want than... me to show up again, let me know. Yeah. Please, Please do, Scott. Please yeah, do. yeah, appreciate it. Where can the good people find you online if they want to get in touch? Well, I do Reddit. Uh, just about anything I do online is going to be under UHCLEM3. That's going to be uh, Twitter. That's going to be Reddit. Just about any public uh, appearance I make on the internet 
is going to be under that and has been since I've been on the internet. Excellent. Well, you, you can again find Scott. I will repeat that. U-H-C-L-E-M-3. Uh, Clem. Hey, what's the story behind that? Okay, I'll try and reduce digest this one. Fire Sign Theater. I think we're all bozos on this bus. It is a 20-some minute long comedy deal by uh, a group of uh, Californian radio personalities who created their own cult back in the 70s. And uh, Clem is the guy who screws up all the computerized stuff in this future fair. <laughs> so you're the guy who, who's tinkering and screwing things up. Yeah, yeah, I'm the guy who's poking around here, poking around there. and Perfect. Perfect. Well, hey, C- Colin, Caleb, where can the good people find you if they want to find you somewhere? I'm at Taylson716 on Twitter. Um, also at 551, very sporadically right now during the offseason, but we'll do more during the season. Um, also, Complete Darkness book is on its way. I don't know when, but I submitted all my stuff for it, so i wait for it to come out. Uh, you can find my writing over at E Pluribus Lunum. You can find my rantings on Twitter at The Attachment. Um, seriously, go check out all of the stuff that I wrote at E Pluribus Lunum this week because I did way too much about the draft. <laughs> it was really good. I, I really enjoyed I, it. I need a nap. <laughs> You can find me at TW United Fans. We Call It Soccer is produced by Nick Rodriguez, whose views on soccer and politics can be found at Nick Rodriguez on Twitter. And for those of you actually listening to these credits, I'll tease that we are preparing a two United Fans website. Nick and I are working on it right now. We'll see when it launches, but stay <laughs> tuned for that. It's going to be pretty cool. You're not coding right now, are you? Uh, Please tell me you're not. No. I no one. It's not in the script, so I didn't do it. Was I supposed to? Oh, that was, that was me right after you right. Well, back to the drawing board, guys. Okay. So, hey, tell your friends to listen to We Call It Soccer. You can subscribe to our pod on fine podcast providers everywhere. And with that, we bid you adieu for another seven days. See you next week. <laughs>